My name is Liam Sklar. Uh, this is the Squadcast. Today I'm with... Andrew Snaith. Andrew Snaith. Do you prefer Snaith? Do you prefer Andrew? You can call me Andrew. Sure, that's good. I'll call you Andrew. Okay. Because we, uh, we don't talk too much. You've been around once or twice, obviously. I know Becky better. Um, me and Eddie are roommates now. Um, but you've always seemed like a pretty interesting fellow, especially with what you, uh, I guess, what was published recently was you wrote a whole piece on Vaporwave, specifically addressing as to, you were trying to figure out in the paper as to why you have such a modern uh, genre that's so focused on like anti-consumer behavior, I guess, and it's messaging. Well, meanwhile, they engage in this like high level of consumerist behavior. It's <laughs> a good way to put um, it. Using a really old medium that's more expensive. And I just read it yesterday because it was just published the other day. I, I, I don't know if there's any specific questions, but I guess I just want to ask, why are you so interested in Vaporwave? Like, how'd that start? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'd say around 2014, 2015 was when I really got into the whole, uh, I guess if you want to call it the scene, I consider it a scene now. Um, and it was just more so I liked the way it sounded. You know, I, I'd been familiar with some synthwave stuff, you know, retrowave, all that stuff. And, and, and Vaporwave was just kind of similar to me, but it felt different, you know. And that's, of course, because it's heavily sample-based versus these other original compositions. And it, it really is, as a genre, is about feeling. And it gives me a feeling that I, I can't even describe. It's just the Vaporwave feeling. Um, so I listened to the music since about 2014, but I really got into the physical stuff over the height of uh, 2020 when I had really nothing to do. And I realized all these guys that I'd been listening to for four or five years at that point were putting out merchandise. They were putting out on vinyl. They were putting out on cassette. And first it seemed really weird to me, right? Because it's like, who's listening to cassettes in 2020, 2021? But I started to get really into it. I started to uh, collect a whole lot of it, um, probably a little too much of it. And, uh, yeah, and that led me to eventually – uh, last year when I wrote the paper, trying to analyze why do I do this? Why do thousands of people in this community do this? Um, like you said, it's very contradictory. Um, yeah, that's what really led to that, I guess, yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds cool. I, uh, a lot of me and my close roommates, uh, we have a vinyl player. Mm-hmm. You know, and we collect a bunch of records. It's definitely a different kind of music. We're, you know, big classic rock guys. So that is leans more towards vinyls than, like, cassettes. Yes. Uh, I know Becky was telling me the other day. He was like, oh, Andrew said I got to work on my deck. I couldn't tell if he was talking about <laughs> cassette tapes or Pokemon. <laughs> um, but I, I, cassettes are really cool. I guess I – so how about this? Why don't we – I, I want to talk about the paper and sure. some parts of it because, again, it was pretty interesting. And then I want to get to, like, the parts that you didn't put in because I'm sure you did a lot of research and you didn't get to talk about everything. Yeah. And, you know, you, you cover a lot, but it, it was kind of a it, – it's, it's a narrow question. And it seeks to answer something specific, but I'm sure there's a lot more to it, which I want to learn about. So the paper's premise, I I can remember you came to about, I guess, three or so different reasons, ultimately, Mm -hmm. as to, like, why that sort of behavior is, which, like you said, is is fans of Vaporwave. It's the artists of Vaporwave releasing uh, their music in this sort of archaic media. Yes, and you came to, like, as I remember, there were three different ones, but if there's more, I'd love you to explain it. Three, three for each. Don't yeah. give everyone everything, because they no, need a reason to go read, read the yeah. paper. It's Inventio avail- Volume 7. It's available yeah. at the CUA Inventio Volume 7. So tell me, uh, maybe if you want to talk about one of those, 
um, or one or two of them. That'd be great. Sure. So I had three different conclusions for both artist and fan. Um, the one that is really probably the most relevant is the one for artist as it gives them a way to sort of profit off of their art, off of their music. Now, for anyone who's not aware, Vaporwave in itself is a heavily sample-based genre, and we're talking about samples that are not legally cleared. I mean, the most popular song in the genre is a slowed-down Diana Ross song. <laughs> do you think they got Diana Ross's permission exactly. to do that, right? Um, so, so because of that, you can't, you can't upload this stuff to Spotify. We've seen it multiple times already. When people try to do this, they legitimately get copyright struck. They get letters in the mail. They say, hey, you're under some serious you know, pressure here, some, some trouble. You can't be doing this. So it kind of solves the problem of how do, we, how do we profit off of this? How do you still – you can't make a living, of course. Some, some have been fortunate to, to evolve their style, make it sample-free, and, and do that. But the majority of people, you know, how, how do you make some extra money off of this art? Um, and that's where cassettes come in. Because as, as I found in my paper, you don't have to really be a master to release a quote-unquote official cassette of your work. All you really need is blank tapes, you know, Photoshop, a printer, access to a post office, and you're good to go. I mean, you can you can dub your album on there, release it if, release it at any edition you want, and and that's where it's funny. You mentioned the whole thing about it's consumerist, anti-consumerist culture, right? Because the whole genre was founded on the thing of yeah, let's make fun of the fact that we live in a society that tells us to consume nonstop. That you need everything. You need to buy this. You need to buy this. You know. And at the same time, it's evolved to a point where that's exactly what's happening with these tapes. Hey, this is a limited run of 30. You, you, you want to get one of these, they're going to be gone. They're never going to be available again after this. you got to buy this. And, and people do. I mean, I have a ridiculous amount of cassettes, but I know people who legitimately buy every single one that's released that has the tag Vaporwave on it. And that's what's so ironic about it. So the bottom line is th- that conclusion that I came to was it gives artists a way to actually make money off of their sample-based music. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, I find the whole uh, use of samples really interesting. I know that's big with Vaporwave. It's big in uh, certain types of rap. Mm-hmm. It's big in certain types of rock. Um, and, and it's always fascinating to me because you really don't realize till you look back at the history of music, but there's such a long trend of people not really making their own. They're just reinventing what's already been around, which is sort of what Vapor, Vaporwave does. 100%. And I, I, I really thought that whole aspect about copyright was such like a fascinating example because it was a mixing that was like the legal side of it and it just happened to mix with the message in a way of like sort of not being like necessarily against the system Mm -hmm. but definitely trying to like argue for something different but at the same time they're also just trying to avoid copyright claims which is really funny to me um there was a lot of recommendations I, i wouldn't say recommendations you were referring to specific artists and songs I think I don't listen to enough Vaporwave. So do you have, like, a top three uh, so, uh, Like artists? of all time or current? Whatever. Okay. Um, I'll, go, I'll go current just because the scene's at an interesting place right now. you got to understand, a lot of the legends, the, uh, the, the Beatles of the Vaporwave scene, right, uh-huh. a lot of them don't do it anymore. Yeah. Because they were popular 2012, 2013, 14 when it started exploding on the Internet. And at this point, they've just kind of moved on to, to bigger and better things. A great example of that, if you've heard of a Daniel Lopatin, who actually is one of the producers for The Weeknd. Now, Daniel Lopatin released an album called Chuck Pershing's Echo Jams Volume 1 in 2010 on cassette, not digitally, on cassette, and that is considered the grandfather of Vaporwave, the first Vaporwave album ever. 
this guy doesn't make vaporwave anymore, but he's the producer for the weekend. Like these guys have legitimately moved on, like the grandfathers of the genre. Um, so, so with that said, yeah, currently, oh man, present day top three. Um, one of the ones that's really been blowing up lately, Macro Blank. Okay. Um, s- start of a subgenre that's pretty contentious due to its uh, quote unquote lack of effort. Um, mm. And that's Barber Beats. It's a lot of slow down lounge music, a lot of trip hop uh, stuff like that with just various associated uh, Roman aesthetics. Um, as as per the usual in Vaporwave. So he's probably up there. I'd put Cat System Corp up there as well. He's been doing it since the beginning. A lot of mall soft, a lot of ambient stuff. And then probably, uh, shout out to a Philadelphia-based group, Death Dynamic Shroud. They okay. make uh, New World music. Was it, was it, what are they called? Death's Dynamic Shroud. Death's Dynamic Shroud. That's a See, it's fascinating as someone who doesn't listen to Vaporwave to just see how much variation there is. Yeah. Um. And, and uh, yeah, again, you said you've been listening to this stuff since around 2014, which is only a few years after, really, its inception. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how much has, like, it changed? Because obviously, like, some of the original big characters aren't there anymore. Mm-hmm. But, like, how has the sound changed? Is it diversified? Because it, it doesn't sound like there's just one vapor wave anymore. No. Yeah, it has really diversified, but at the same time, it hasn't. Okay. <laughs> um, you have a lot of people who are, you know, quote-unquote copycats, who just kind of emulate styles of those in the past. You've had multiple artists who their style's been so influential that even though that they're long past, there are entire subgenres named after them just because of how influential they were. A good okay. example, uh, Haircuts for Men, very popular artist. He really started the whole lounge sample idea. There's probably 10 artists right now who make music under the name, or under the subgenre Barber Beats. You know, Haircuts for Men, he was the barber. They're making other beats, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, telepath. Another really uh, really good example of that, really just a, a slushy kind of take the sample, slow them down to as slow as possible. I mean, we're talking like 12, 13-minute songs, very heavy reverb, very heavy slush, creates a subgenre called slush wave. Um, so I, and, and then on the other side, there are people who, who are trying to diversify the, the, the genre. I mean, you have Death's Dynamic Shroud who they take pop samples, K-pop samples, very modern-day stuff, and just kind of chop them and twist them beyond recognition, which is incredible. Um, and and it is still considered vaporwave, but it's not really something that is inherently vaporwave, if you will. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of effort going into there. Um, so yeah, I, I would say both. I'd love to get your take on this one issue because sure. you seem very up to date on, I guess, like a musical media trends. And one major thing that has been happening for a while now is, and it sort of relates a lot to vaporwave in how they deal with the issue of, like, this oversaturation of music. Because mm-hmm. there's so much. And their releasing of limited physical versions sort of is their solution to, like, a Spotify where you really, if you upload stuff, it's really easy to get it drowned out in just the sea of everything. Um, you, you, so you talked about how Vaporwave, their path has been, like, this release of old physical media it, it lends itself to the type of music that it, you don't really have, like, live Vaporwave, I'd imagine. Mm. But I've always... Well, you do, like, actually, yeah. It sounds like you do. Because I've always thought, you know, I guess the antithesis to just uploading music online, and this is something that Vaporwave has dealt with, is physical media or just live music. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about the live Vaporwave. Yeah, live Vaporwave is interesting. Um, You'd think it wouldn't exist, right? Because you got a ton of people in a room listening to essentially mall music at some point. People love it. People love that stuff. And there's been two events so far called um, 
Electronicon. Uh, it's just it's, it's been called Electronicon. Electronicon. Yes, and it's run by Hundred Percent Electronica, who's the biggest label in the scene, and they, it's essentially vaporwave Coachella. Okay. And it's insane. They get all of the people from across the world because that's the other thing cool about vaporwave is because it's the first internet-based music genre. You have people from all over the world making this stuff, and they they, they get them together, they gather them under one roof, and. Yeah, they, they put on a live show and they play mall music live. It's something. That's so fascinating about, like, modern times as far as cross-cultural connections, mm-hmm. especially since, like, traditionally music and other even other forms of, like, art and media are so location-centered. And now you have all these uh, genres and, like, disciplines and communities, really, that aren't location-bound because it's the Internet. Right. And it's parts on the Internet, whether it's, like, a community on Reddit or um, some other niche website. I, I think it's fascinating that that's one of them that it, it's cool to see that happen like in real time, mm-hmm. especially with something like Vaporwave. How did, like, is there a direction it's going, you would say, where it's still mostly localized to like that sort of online niche internet group? Because it doesn't sound niche. It sounds like there's a lot of people that listen to this. Mm. Um, or, or is that ever going to, do you think, do you think a vaporwave is ever going to sort of reach more mainstream? Yeah. And do you think there's ever going to be like a physical location, I guess, of vaporwave artists that sort of collate around one area? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I would offer the take that in order for our genre to survive, it can't go mainstream fully because the second you go fully mainstream, I mean, you want to think about, that, about this, right? Like these uncleared samples being released on tapes, there's not really any threat there. Like, you're not going to get Sony coming after and, and suing some small label because they made 20 bucks off of a, you know, a cassette with an uncleared sample. But if it starts going mainstream, you know, as soon as these companies that own these rights start recognizing, hey, this is popular stuff, yeah, of course that's going to start happening. But at the same time, its practices already are mainstream. You have people like The Weeknd. You have people like Drake, uh, the rapper, um, and I apologize, I don't listen to a whole lot of rap. From from what I've understand, okay, yeah. yeah. From from what I understand, a lot of his beat making, whether he does it or someone else does it, is pretty much just vaporwave. Sampling's huge in in rap. Yeah, a lot of that is. And when my younger brother was more into uh, rap, that was something I always found like strange. Um, you know, it makes more sense now that like I've developed a better understanding of how music is made. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's just really like a technical thing. Now you can preserve recordings and edit over them in really creative ways. Exactly. Um, and I think in some areas, especially rap, it's helped. But I feel like there it's sort of become a detriment. And you've gotten, since rap maybe is more mainstream, I, I, I think in that respect they've sort of like, you, you, they've pushed people away from sampling there and you're sort of seeing people to move back maybe more towards like, original content, which could be difficult. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that with Vaporwave? Has there been a movement that has tried to become more, I guess, not Vaporwave, like original content, less sampling? And is that really just track with the bigger the artist gets? Yeah, you do see that a lot. The bigger the artist gets, they start realizing that it's not really feasible to start or continue producing this kind of stuff. Um, One of the best examples, I would say, is probably if you've heard of Young Bay who is a, um, he was a future funk producer, which is an offset of Vaporwave uh, very early on, 2014. And he's at the point now where his albums are pretty much completely unsampled uh, pop albums, and he gets other singers to come on and go over top of it. 
you know, whether or not that's Vaporwave or not, I'm not here to be the judge on what Vaporwave is. I personally think nothing will, at the end of the day, will ever beat a good sampled Vaporwave album. But there's people who successfully do it very well. Um, in almost every subgenre that's around right now, you see people trying to make original content, yes. Okay. Um, ultimately, and I mentioned this earlier, effort to me is something that's always brought up. The biggest thing right now in the scene is, you know, barber beats is, is the big topic. Everyone, it's so low effort, right? It's, it takes, I could do that. I could throw that in audacity and slow it down, right? But that's not the point. The point of April, it was never about effort. It was the fact that it was communicating a feeling unlike any other. Yeah, you know what? This guy literally did throw in a Diana Ross song, for example, and slow it down and add some reverb, right? But when you listen to that song, you feel something completely different from when you listen to It's Your Move by Diana Ross normally. So... I don't. I don't think sample based or or sample free. Either one is more vaporwave. Um, I just think there needs to be a a little more recognition uh, from some of the newcomers in the scene of what it was in the first place, which was a way to make fun of the free market. Do you think that's going to be difficult because it's like such a counterculture kind of movement, and now you have this dichotomy where it's like not that they're eating their own, mm-hmm. but you're asking people in a counterculture movement to support and respect the previous like culture and that's only going to exacerbate itself yeah do you think that's an issue Uh, you know i don't know if it's a complete issue at the end of the day i mean there there's been at least 10 times in vaporwaves what is it 11 year history now that everyone goes you know this is it this is finally going to do us in the genre is dead vaporwave is dead that's been a big meme since 2015 Mm. right it's not going to die. It's never going to die. We've been through every single circumstance at this point. And, you know, like you said, of people eating their own. And, and this is the same thing that happened when Future Funk became a thing. Future Funk is just city pop samples that are sped up a little bit, about 120 beats per minute. They add, they add some drums over top of it, right? And they loop a, a five-second part of the song for two minutes, and you're done, right? And that was the same thing that happened. That was like what's happening now. And everyone's like, this is lazy. This isn't what Vaporwave is about. I'm like, but, but, it, but it is. This is exactly what Vaporwave's about. You took the best part of a song, you're looping it over and over again, and you get a completely different feeling. So I, I, don't, I don't see it being a detriment to this song. Okay. Why don't we, I mentioned, there's probably a lot you didn't get to put in the paper. Mm. What other, I guess, like aspects of Vaporwave have interested you that you would want to explore more that maybe you have? Yeah, so at the time I wrote that paper, I had not yet been uh, fully just in the process of, um, of creating my, uh, my website, which, by the way, uh, Celadon Plaza, if you want to check it okay. out. Uh, physical hub of Vaporwave, archives all the releases. Do you want to spell that? Yeah, sure. C-E-L-A-D-O-N Plaza.com. Okay, great. And uh, yeah, just it is the central hub. At least I want it to be the central hub of all physical Vaporwave. And we did just launch our label as well. Okay. Um, once a month, we're putting out um, a tape. Uh, of course, these are these are official. We're working with the artist to do this. Um, but the point I wanted to make was when I when I first wrote this paper, when I really finished it, this was at its very early stages. So I did not have a lot of the connections I had. Mm-hmm. I've run this website for the past year now, and we just started our label section. And over the past year, I've developed immense amounts of relationships with the various artists, with the labels. And I, I know a lot of them personally now and talk with them on a big basis. That would have been incredibly helpful for this paper. I would have loved to get some more insight on, yeah. on, on the practices because um, it was essentially me from the outside analyzing them. I didn't have anyone really, you know, telling me why they did this, why they didn't do this um, when it comes to avoiding a copyright strike, putting this on cassette, whatever it is. So that's something I would have liked to include more. Yeah, definitely. Do you think you're ever going to write more about it? I would love to if given the opportunity. Um, I, I don't know what topic I would attack next, though. Um, I, I've explored in this paper, which is 
Vaporwave's connection to obsolete physical media. Um, you know, something I'd like to maybe in a couple years uh, address is the changing landscape of, of, of the music industry when it comes to independent artists. I mean, without Bandcamp, this genre would not exist, as I said, because... You know, you put it on Spotify, uh, you put it on Apple Music, wherever people listen to. I'm, I don't stream music, yeah. so <laughs> shocker, right? You were talking about Bandcamp in the paper. What is Bandcamp? Because I, I just don't know. Yeah, so Bandcamp is a independent music site where essentially they host your music. You can put it up there. People can buy it, download it, whatever it may be, and you get uh, a cut every time someone buys it. But it also lets you sell merch. It lets you sell vinyl, oh, yeah. cassettes. And that's why it's really the hub of vaporwave, and it's also kind of like a kind of like a wild west of independent music. There's not people going around. There's not algorithms checking for copyrighted stuff like on YouTube. And okay. So that's why it's really survived there. And it's been around for a while. Yeah, Bandcamp's been around probably 15 years, is my guess. It outdates vaporwave. It existed before it. Um, I'd love to hear more about. You said you have that website. There's a label now. You're going to mm-hmm. be releasing stuff, and you said you have a lot of connections. I know one of the big things is you were talking about with vaporwave is the anonymity. Of yes, artists, yes, especially with all the copyright things, you know, you really have to be careful with that. So, I but I'd love to hear more about like that growing situation. Yeah, about about anonymity today, and then also just like what you've seen being built over the past year or two or so, mm-hmm. especially as it relates to like the label you mentioned. Yeah, so being anonymous is actually not something that's as big of a deal now. In, really, uh, in, in the scene, I think a lot of people have. And this isn't the case for all of them. There are some people, I mentioned Macroblank earlier, no idea who that is. Could be a guy, could be a girl, could be living in Japan, could be living next to me. I have no idea. And in some ways, I like that because ultimately, you know, and I mentioned this in the paper based on Roland Barthes' theory, right, is that the art is what matters. It's not the artist, right? Like, I don't, I don't care what the person looks like. I don't care what they sound like. They made something that I like. I like their art. So that's something I strongly believe in. So, and that's why I do like the anonymous factor. But I think also a lot of people are realizing it's easier to build a presence when you have a face, when you have a personality, you know, stuff like that. So in the scene, there's a lot more people who have kind of foregone that and just like, yeah, this is this is who I am. They'll have a they'll have like an artist name, but mm-hmm. they'll post pictures of themselves. They'll they'll tell their real name. Um, okay. So, yeah. So that and then you want to know how that relates to my label currently? Just, just tell me about the label more in general. Oh, sure. Yeah. So over the past year, I've, I've archived quite literally every single piece of uh, physical vaporwave media and. I started to realize that there's a lot of albums that I, from from people who are either big or small artists, that I want preserved physically. I mentioned this in my paper. If Vaporwave ever does go to hell and, and everything is nuked, the government is not going to show up to my house and take away my tapes and my exactly. vinyl, right? So someone's got to be preserving this stuff in case that happens. Right? And that might seem like, you know, like crazy, you know, tin hat stuff. But honestly, if that happens... You can't take away physical media, which is why I believe so strongly in it. Physical preservation is huge. I'm a big uh, Grateful Dead fan. Okay, yeah. And uh, they're built on a whole history of, like, having as many different types of recordings because they did a lot of live. Mm -hmm. They encourage their fans to record their different live shows. Right, yeah. So there's just, like, a plethora out there. Like, you're never going to listen to all of them. And they're so niche. There's so little copies of certain ones. Like, I have to imagine there's, like, some uh, editions of, like, concerts that there's only, like, two to three copies of, yeah. and just individuals own them. And that definitely seems a lot like the case for Vaporwave. I think it's really cool. You know, it is. it can be more expensive, but, like, the physical aspect of music is so important. And I guess that's true. That goes beyond just, like, the art you use on an album cover. Yeah. And art is important for Vaporwave. Huge. I know they have a very unique style. Um, that It teeters on the edge of being messy and, like, eye-popping that I really enjoy. Um 
but I like what you said. We were talking at one point about the physical media. It's the physical aspect of itself being art. Yes. Which I think is really awesome. I'd love it if you'd expand more on what you think about that. Yeah, well, as you said at the beginning, you're, you're someone who collects records. So you, you understand that, and at least I, I'm sure you probably understand that, there's a feeling of having to work, to, not only work towards listening to your music, right? You have to take it out of the sleeve. You have to hold the sleeve. You have to put it down. You got to dust the record off. You got to put the needle to it. There, there's a certain beauty to that. I think it helps you appreciate the album more. And another, another point is you have to listen to the whole album, right? You can't just... I mean, you could pick up the needle and skip around. I would never do that, but no. but most people aren't going to do that. You have, you're forced to listen to the full album in the way the artist intended. I think there's something so beautiful about that. Full album, like a concept album, especially like the flow in between songs. My right. favorite, my, one of my favorite bands is Pink Floyd. Okay, and yeah. They like pioneered a lot of that. I the know flow, absolutely. On. Exactly. Is that huge in Vaporwave? Because a lot of what we talk about people might just conceptualize like a song. Mm -hmm. But obviously, they're not just releasing one song at a time. A lot of artists, I'm sure, especially big ones, release whole albums. Yeah. Have you seen them? Are the albums, like, unique in any way? Are most are they different lengths of time? Are, or do they have to, like, conform to older lengths because, like, it's a more traditional media? Um, and, like, maybe an example or two of some pretty like unique physical copies of vaporwave that you've come across sure sure so uh, to answer your first question yes and no in the uh, in the in the unique area of, of, of albums being released now right they don't necessarily well you asked you asked about what the varying lengths is that what you're wondering? just in general like what I was trying to give an example but like mm -hmm. Is there anything unique? Oh, the flow in, about the albums, yeah. Just in regards to how they make albums. Okay. Is there anything that d distinguishes the general structure or how it's made compared to other genres beyond the fact that it's just preserved on, like, physical copies? Oh, so you're talking specifically do the physical copies have specific things that make them unique? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. oh, absolutely. Um, on, on, that, on the aspect of being unique, I would say yes and no. You have some albums that literally feel like 10 songs thrown together like in there, and you have some albums that flow perfectly, right? So I don't, I don't, either way, um, there, they don't have to conform to anything. Are there anywhere you feel they, uh, you could just put it online and be exactly the same, or like it uniquely oh, I see benefits what you're from being in like a physical version? Yeah, so, so Vaporwave as a whole has always been associated with this idea of obsolete physical media, of past time periods, of this vision of the 80s, if you will, of it being better than it was. So because of that, I always, and I will, I'll take this to the grave, that I, I think a Vaporwave album on cassette with that hiss in the background will always be better than listening to it digitally. You have that added authenticity of, you know, hey, this feels like an album I literally did find in a thrift store from 1983, right? Like, and it's just something you don't really get. And, and this has been actually, this is a great example, um, this has been used as production technique as well. One of the artists I mentioned, Cat System Corp, he has an album called Good Morning America. It's a, it's a compilation of, of Weather Channel samples from 1985, I believe. And it's so unique in the fact that he produced the entire album, recorded it to a cassette tape, and then recorded it back to his computer just so he could get that level of sound degrada degradation in it. And it's just, they're purposely trying to make the music sound worse quality-wise to fit, yeah, pre-established aesthetics. That's really, that's really cool. Um... I think I think there's there's so much as far as like I think it'll be funny in 50 years when mm -hmm. Spotify becomes obsolete media. I mean this stuff just moves so quickly. Um, 
like just only a few years back, you had to pay for like individual songs and uh, albums yeah. on like iTunes, right? And now you have so much access. And there's a big problem right now with podcasts on like Spotify now mm-hmm. because they're huge for them, especially money making. But all their subscribers are built up on uh, the music listeners, right? You uh, let's talk about something else besides vaporwave. Sure. Um, so I, I've been told that you actually used to have a baseball podcast. Uh, yeah, uh, technically I still do. You we still have, do we have one more episode. Okay. Yeah. You, you're going to record one more? Yeah. It, it, so it's unique. It's a radio show and a podcast. Okay. We go live and then we edit the live version into a podcast form. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, how long have you been doing that? Oh man. It's been over three years at this point. Started in 2019, January or so. And you've been doing that through the CUA radio? Yeah, WCUA, yep. How is, what level of, like, production do you involve yourself in? Especially with, like, going through that their setup and that process. How much is it, like, hands-off? Because obviously I'm sure they want to be around to, like, make sure the studio and everything's maintained and all the technology. But I, I imagine you do most of the editing yourself? Yeah, I'm going to be honest, not to throw shade at WCUA, but they really <laughs> are so hands-off. They don't really care. The organization has really gone... And I'm about to graduate, so they can't yeah. really cancel me at this point, right? But the, the organization has gone so downhill. Um, it used to be something great. At this point, it's it's very hands-off. But that lends itself to, to, to the point where we can do whatever we want, essentially. I'm not saying we're going on there and, and cursing up a storm and yeah. saying controversial topics, but it, it's very hands-off, and we control all the episodes. Yes, I do do all the editing, all the uploading, all the background work, stuff like that. That I mean, that... It doesn't sound like you're necessarily throwing shade. I, a lot of organizations on campus had trouble over COVID. There were like oh, this was that, long before that, though. Really? You yeah. That was started? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've always enjoyed, obviously, I do a lot of my own stuff. Mm-hmm. I've gone through, like, different, a lot of what this podcast has been is going, trying to figure out, me, myself, the best ways to record things. So in the first episodes, I have a mic back in my room. Right. Then I was using a microphone from the lab, and now I just started using this place because yeah. it's never used. No, might as we, well take advantage we, of it. We set it up, um, started to set it up, I guess, two years ago at this point. And it, it's been, people have been in here, but it's like a sparing thing. Um, do you think you're going to continue to use any of the skills you've developed through podcasting beyond? What do you want to do after college? And, uh, you know, I guess, I guess related is, what is your, what are your major? <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Well, that's, I'm, I'm very familiar with this room, media and communications major. So, yeah, I spent a lot of time here. So you're a media and communications major. Mm-hmm. What do you think you're going to be doing after college? Yeah, well, I'm actually uh, I'm with a nonprofit right now, and I'm going to be continuing on in the summer doing okay. uh, content production with them. So, yeah, absolutely, to answer your question, I'm going to be using a lot of that stuff. I think it's such a cool skill to develop, and I think it's something that, def- you know, it relates so much to the whole vaporwave situation. Without question. All right, now here's something else. Sure. Um... I mentioned before, Becky tells me that uh, you are technically, because you haven't had to return it yet, <laughs> you are technically like number 10 in the world or something, <laughs> in like Pokemon. Pokemon. You want to explain what yeah. that is? So, so that's, that's, that's somewhat flawed. Um, okay. Technically, in 2019, which was the last in-person world championship, I, I showed up to the DC Open, which is the, um, it was the open tournament at the world championship, where you could show up and compete. And, yeah, I got 10th, which is, of all the world, it was about 1,200 people, I think, were there. Okay. Um, and I, I did get 10th, but technically speaking, they haven't had another in-person okay. world championship. It's all been so online then. It's been online, and when it comes to card games, that's just not the same, in my opinion. But Are you a big card game person? You know, I used to be a lot more in high school than I am now. I'll still dabble in it. Um, I mean, I I, <laughs> I actually do keep up a YouTube channel with my friends regarding that. Okay, really? Um, 
Yeah, just just on the side, just getting some stuff out there for people. Uh, it, it's a weird crowd. You have very elitist people who are spending nine hundred dollars on their Yu-Gi-Oh decks, and it's like you know. Let's and they not. could be spending nine hundred dollars on their vaporwave. Exactly, decks. like I do. Exactly. <laughs> um, you said you were cataloging, or, or like you're like trying to store vaporwave. Yeah, because obviously there's so much, and like there's so much that could be lost easily just because it's only in physical, or like it gets taken down online. How big is the collection? How big is the my archive Your online archive. or my personal archive? I guess I, both. Why, why well, not? the one online I started in March 2021, so any piece of physical vaporwave that's been released since then is in that archive. Really? Online. Um, it's just it's just a very simple spreadsheet of when, where, you know, okay. who did it. Um, personally, I think I'm around 210 right now. So I, it's you can't buy them all, you know, mm-hmm. like I'd love to archive every single piece, but it's at the point where like, there's other things I got to spend money on. And with the label now, that's eating a lot of my funds. Um, which, which comes from a love for that as well. As I was saying, I, I started that because there was artists I realized and albums that I was like, this needs to be preserved in case something happens and nobody's doing it. I've, I've built relationships over the past year. Why don't I do it? And I literally just started reaching out to artists that I've known from the past year and said, I want to make this happen. Like, I, I, I want to get this released properly on cassette. I'll back the whole project. Let's do it. And uh-huh. it's worked out pretty well so far. We have, uh, we have releases planned through August at this point. And uh, where do you think you're going to go past that with that whole project? Yeah, that project I'm going to continue as long as I can. Um, not something I'm going to be living off of. But, of course. But um, it, it's more so just a passion project. Right. I'd like to take it to the point where we get a vinyl in the mix as well. That'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be cool. Mm-hmm. What do you think, I guess, then... Uh, we don't need to re- keep recording for much longer, but uh, we could, we, we've got like, I guess, 10, 15 more minutes. Sure, sure. Um, what do you think the future of Vaporwave is? That's a good question. I think uh, Vaporwave will always have its connection to physical media. Okay. I think that cannot be lost. For better or for worse, it's always going to have to stay alive through that. Okay. Um, that's one thing. Other than that, I mean, I think you will see a lot more sample-free work. Um, but I also think you'll still see people who are committed to the old ways of, I don't give a damn about copyright. I'm just going to make music that makes you feel good, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, then why don't you tell me, what was the publishing process with Inventio? Because I feel mm-hmm. like we owe something to them, obviously. Oh, for sure. I, I mean, I, I only, like, helped out very briefly. And that was all Josie doing mm-hmm. all the video stuff. Yeah. Um, that, that, from what I understand, like, a lot of the people that were working in it, have sort of moved on, so it's like they're trying to hobble it back together after COVID. But it seems pretty cool, yeah. especially because I know uh, Caleb does great design work. Oh yeah, on um on that whole thing. I love the I love the new logo for it. Yeah, me too. Because they have a new symbol or whatever mm-hmm. pattern, I guess every uh, volume, and this one's really cool. Um, how how did the whole process go with them? Because you said you wrote this paper last year. I did. What was the timeline? When did you turn it in? When did you think it was done? Um, and when did they say that when did like they officially say that it, like it was good to go and how much time was there until it was actually published just the other day? Yeah, publishing a uh, long process. This started as a, uh, a final paper in my junior seminar class for media. Mm-hmm. And my uh, my advisor liked it so much. He said, you should you should try to get this published through Invencio. And I didn't even really know what it was at the time. Um, and, and the other fear that I had and, and that other people were telling me was, you know, this, this Oh, this is a bunch of English majors. Like they don't, they don't like this kind of stuff. Meeting communications is, is considered like a, like a weird cousin. Like they don't really like you guys. They think your work's not, not worthwhile. And 
that kind of pissed me off. And by the way, there probably are people who think that. Um, obviously, the paper was chosen eventually, but it did. It pissed me off a little bit. I was like, you know what? I'm going to submit this, and I'm going to try to make it so damn good that they can't they they can't reject it. Um, just to give a give a voice to the media department here, get something published from here, right? I I love the media department. I really it, over this past time I've been here because I've been working uh, at the department for like two or three years since freshman year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely. I, I've been glad to see that they've been able to grow and have been yeah. able to get more funding. And I hope they become bigger. I hope they're able to one day get out of this basement. Yeah. Because um, it's, so, it's so, whenever anyone asks or I tell them, it's always like, yeah, they're buried beneath the architecture literally. school. Yeah, literally. Which, it's kind of funny, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And it's nice to have access to the space. And I, th- I think, I mean, I don't know. I think, I, I guess just like from what I've seen, I feel like the class sizes have been growing. Mm-hmm. I think they've been doing a great job with, with outreach, but it's great to see a media paper find its way to something. Because Inventio, is, you're right, it's a lot of, like, English and philosophy. It's, it's yeah. stuff that... Which is fine, because I, I read all great. their works, and they were great. No, I, all the stuff posted in there is so cool. There's yeah. some really fascinating ones that I was flipping through when I was finding yours. Um, to the best of my knowledge, they're basically just, like, the publishing paper that, like, for isn't STEM. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a lot of that stuff. And someone has to, especially for media. I think it's funny that media needs to go through them <laughs> to get their stuff yeah, published. Right. I mean, do you think, uh, do, like, where else would people, I, I obviously that's a, you might not know, but did you ever want to put it anywhere else, anywhere online? Or did someone tell you you should put it to Inventio, and then you just sort of decided that was exactly what you were going to do? Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. When my advisor mentioned Inventio, I was like, you know, this is this is probably the best choice for this. Okay. I considered throwing it online, but I figured this would give it to the, to the point where if it's actually, like, published, it'll find its way online, and yeah. it'll have that extra bit of credibility than me rather just, you know, like, throwing it up on my website or whatever, exactly, right? Exactly, Um. Yeah, so. All right. Um, I think you asked about the process also. It was about a year. Yeah, so so it took about... So how long was the writing itself? Because you said you wrote it for a class. Yeah. And that's how I heard a lot of these started. Yeah. all the mm-hmm. interviews. Um, it was very much, yeah, I wrote something for a class and my professor said I should go with it. Yeah. And that was what you said for you. How much editing did you do after that? Or did you expand on it? Did you get more sources? What did you do? Yeah, so after it was, it was probably around mid-late April when I submitted it, and that's when my professor told me you should consider getting this published. I probably spent another couple weeks editing it, editing it, making it what I appeared, uh, I, I guess, deemed to be more scholarly, you mm-hmm. know, to, to, to appeal to them. Submitted it. They let me know that they received it probably mid-May, and I didn't hear anything until, oh, I think it was late summer when they said you're in the final rounds but it's not official yet and then it was around october when they finally messaged me and said you've been submitted now it's time to be in the copy editing process which is a whole other yeah, thing yeah yeah how how different was um the like initial paper to after you edited it for them surprisingly not that much different okay the biggest things that they came back to me with were um just accessibility to people who didn't know what Vaporwave was. I used a lot of, uh, one of Vaporwave's big things is Jap- a lot of Japanese text, terminology. Yeah. And people were like, like, for example, I talked about Haircuts for Men. I mentioned him by name in there because he has a great example. He released his music exclusively on cassette, which why why would you do that in 2020 or 2019, I guess it was. But they came back to me and they were like, 
this entire time you have an artist named Haircuts for Men and it's all lowercase and this is obviously not proper. I'm like, no, but that's his name. Like he does it all lowercase and then came back. Okay, well then we have to put SIC after it. Like we got, and it was the whole thing where it was mm-hmm. that the Japanese text people were like, okay, we got to translate this. I remember hearing uh, through someone that like Caleb was trying to do because they, they hadn't had that before. Exactly. Japanese yeah. text in the actual Oh, they journal, loved me. And they had to figure editor. out how to f- format uh-huh. all of that. Yeah. But I was so glad to see that it got published. And I, I'm hopeful that you're going to see, like, we're going to be able to see more cool topics. Yeah. Especially as, like, that, this specific paper grows. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess, you know, one other final thing to talk about, which I think would be pretty neat. Uh. What what is I guess what like what's next? What like big plans do you have? Do you think you're gonna? Obviously, you've talked about how the uh, website and all that. It's sort of a passion project. You want to do that for as long as you can, and then maybe move on. Do you have like any idea where you're gonna take all this? Because you've built up a lot. You've built up some really cool information. You have, I'm sure, gotten cool like audio uh, related skills, especially since you're a media student. You've been able to look at specifically the production of music in general do you think you're ever gonna go down that path yourself not even just releasing music that's mm-hmm. not doesn't have to be it but do you think that's ever going to become more professional or do you think you're going to move on to some other uh passion or work professional wise a lot of the work i do do with the nonprofit right now is audio editing for their podcast video production mm-hmm. so so definitely that and that's the okay. field i'm really interested in for main career um but a- as for the future of, of the of the label and the website if i get it to the point where we're doing vinyl records that gets to a point where that could actually turn a good amount of profit. And at that point... There's a lot of profit in records. There are. Um, there's also a lot of investment involved as well. Yeah. And it takes about, I think the waiting time now is about a year and a half because of the PVC shortage right now. Mm-hmm. Um, insane. But if I get to that point, the goal would just be, like I said, it's always a passion project. At that yeah. point, I'd want to hire um, distribution uh, distributors in different countries, You know, ease the shipping costs for some of my customers, hire a full-time artist, you know, so I'm not, you know, contracting various people to do the uh, the J card artwork for all the tapes. Do you have a lot of customers? Like, uh, it's not they're not centralized anywhere. It's sort of no. spread out. I'd mm-hmm. imagine there are a lot of people overseas. There's a good amount overseas. Okay. I'd say primarily still United States, um, just because that's where that's where my accounts base, all my socials are in English. You know, that kind of stuff. That makes but sense. Yeah, we've I've I've had customers. There's a lot in Japan. There's a lot in uh, in the United Kingdom. There's a good amount in Australia, uh-huh. and a lot actually a huge presence of vaporwave scene right now is South America, Brazil, really? uh, Mexico. A lot of big vaporwave artists there. Actually, I want to say three of the six or seven I've worked with so far have all been in South America. So really, okay, great great place for the scene. Yeah, I mean, all that's awesome to hear. I I, I hope you keep doing more with it because it's really fascinating. You know, especially I've noticed this more as I've gotten closer to graduating. People don't always know what they want to do. So I guess the hope is that you'll be able to pursue this more independent of like financial stability. Yeah. It's awesome to, to definitely get the perspective of someone on such a random topic. That's really fascinating. Anyways, um, unless you have anything else you want to say, we could wrap it up. No, I just, thanks for having me on. I appreciate no it. No problem. It's great to have you. Yeah, absolutely.